Hey, dealmakers, and welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. Let's do this. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. Our guest today is Nicole Gautier, and her story is fascinating. She's from the oil and gas industry, stay-at-home mom, and somehow gets herself into real estate and into LP investing and then GP investing. Her story is fascinating. I think you're going to be really, really inspired by it. Before we get to the show, though, I want to give a shout out to Abdullah, who left us a review on Amazon for the Yellow Book. Yeah, he says that this is one of the best books I've ever read on real estate investment. I thank Michael for sharing such a detailed step-by-step roadmap, which gives me the confidence to get started. I appreciate that. Uh, if you haven't read the book, it's Financial Freedom with Real Estate. And it's a yellow book, same title as this podcast. So hopefully you'll check that out. It's going to give you a really, really good introduction into apartment building syndication. Also want to highlight people who have done a deal. And this week we have Luis Castillo of Royal Investment Group, and they grew to close a deal in Lubbock, Texas. It's a 100-unit deal worth $7.2 million, and they raised about 3.6 of it. And it's really cool because Lewis, he's a public speaker in Latin America and the Caribbean. He's got a fascinating background, and he's using real estate as a way to basically inspire and empower people worldwide. And this is the cool thing about the financial freedom, it's not really the amount the money you're making. Money is not the end goal. It's really enabler to the life that you want to live. And Lewis is on a way to doing that. So that's really, really cool as well. By the way, if you're interested in investing in multifamily syndications, we'd love to have a conversation with you. Our investment company is called Nighthawk Equity. Nighthawkequity.com. You can go there and just schedule a call with us. We'd love to have a conversation, introduce you to the wonderful world of multifamily syndications even though there might be some distress with operators right now, that same distress is creating an amazing opportunity to buy. And so we want to take advantage of that opportunity and we'd love to have you on board as a partner. And with that, speaking of partner, we'll bring in my partner and co-host Garrett Lynch. Garrett, what's going on? What's going on, Michael? So the market keeps changing so rapidly and I've been doing this since 2011 and, and the last, good Lord, two years has been really a roller coaster ride of super hot, then COVID hits, then it gets hot again, and then inflation hits, and then the Fed starts hiking rates. I mean, it's it's crazy. It'll make your head spin. And one of the things that we struggled with after COVID is bridge lending basically went away for like four months, five months. And we were like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? How are we going to buy a building that's 70% occupied? And then of course it came back again and the market got hot. And, and now we have this federal interest rate hike that has really made things very difficult. And one of the main reasons made things difficult is the lending industry has really drawn back. Their lending criteria has gone up significantly. Their loan to value has gone down. Obviously, interest rates have, has gone down, which is not really the, the bad thing. It's really everything else. It's the loan to values and the criteria to get these loans. And so as we're trying to do deals and maybe trying to refinance deals, that's a real problem. And so we have really been work, working very hard at improving and expanding our broker relationships to find loan products that worked. And I think that was our, our, our advantage after COVID is we started using some, some different loan products from credit unions, for example, that allow us to take advantage of this changing market. And so, uh, but now that doesn't really work anymore, right? And so the question, Garrett, is 
What are you finding out there that is working? Yeah, so I'm I'm basically in the trenches with this stuff like every day. I talk to my loan broker more than I talk to you, Michael, and <laughs> it's interesting what's happening. So if you're first of all, if you're going for origination, you're going to be underwriting using agency, possibly bridge. If you're going bridge, though, you're probably going to want to cap your interest rate exposure at a certain point. There's also a loan product that might pencil for a deal where it's like a fixed rate bridge loan where they're they're ripping off like eight and a half percent. And so you you just have to make sure your deal works for that. So that's interesting on the origination side. We're seeing those. Nothing is great, but that, that's what we're seeing. And interest rates somewhere in the 6% range all the way up to you know nine, 10% on the bridge loans. The refinance side though, which is what a lot of people that already own properties are are very interested in right now. If you try to do an agency refinance, you're probably not going to get out if you bought your deal in the last year and a half to two years. So that's the difficult part is that the DSCR constraints make it difficult to get out of your existing short-term loan. Okay, explain that, means, that real quick. So what, what is a DSCR? And then explain why yeah. those restraints are so essentially what they're doing is they're reducing the loan to value, the loan proceeds you're getting, which means that when you refinance, it won't repay the previous loan. But why is that? So it's because the interest rates have gone up. And so the same dollar that you're producing in NOI is less valuable, is, is mm. essentially what it is, because your debt service coverage ratio is, is now at a different level than it than it was when interest rates were at three and a half percent. If you're doubling it, your that same dollar can only cover can because it's just basically your loan payments are so much higher, right? So your debt service coverage ratio, it's a 1.25x. You need more dollars to be able to hit that 1.25x than previously because interest rates were lower, the debt service payments were lower back and then so, is, is how it works. And so if your NOI is the same, okay, the same, but your interest rate has gone up and you still require 1.25 debt service coverage ratio, yep. then in other words, the only way that the bank will fix the difference if they can't raise NOI is to lower your proceeds. Correct. Exactly. So, you, so you're getting loans at 50 to 65% typically. And on a refinance, it's more closer to probably 50% on a lot of these deals. Plus you haven't had enough time to finish the project. So you haven't been able to raise revenues enough in a certain amount of time. That's the issue a lot of people are dealing with right now is that they haven't had enough time to implement their plan. If it's a three-year plan, you've only gotten a year into it. You're not, your revenue is not going to be high enough. Plus you're battling the markets at the same time on a refinance. So there is a product that we've discovered that has allowed us to get closer to that and, and take us out of some of these loans. And, and it's called a HUD loan. 223F. And these loans are very, the trade-off is it, you can get out of your loan. It's it's a high enough leverage point where you can get off, but they're fully amortizing and they're very difficult to obtain. It's full forensic analysis into your accounting. It's a, a whole process that's more arduous than going for an agency loan. And it takes six months to get it. So it's not where the faint of heart if you're trying to go after one of these, we actually are right now. And, and, but it can help you get out of the bridge loans that have a limited amount of time left on them. So that's something that, that operators I know are looking into, including us to help us get out of some of these situations on some more recently purchased deals. Yeah, that's right. So uh, check out the HUD loan again. It's not for the faint of heart, but you know, it's better than the alternative, which is, which is, which is bad. I mean, if you can't sell, we can't refinance 
And what, what are you going to do, right? So HUD loans is actually something that we're looking into right now. And there, is, there are some syndicators who in the past have done HUD loans. There are major advantages of them, but there's also giant pain in the butt about them as well. But hey, beggars can't be choosers right now. So you guys look into HUD loans if you're a current operator as well. And maybe a great way to get out of any kind of floating rate debt that you have right now. So let's get into the call, into the call here with Nicole today. Just like a very inspiring and st story. And, and here's the thing is that we all struggle with kind of mindset issues. You know, I'm not good enough. I, I can't believe, I, I just don't think I can do that. And Nicole is, is a very analytical person. She has a CP background. She's a numbers person. And yet somehow she was able to overcome these things and still move forward. And I think a lot of us struggle with this at, at some, some degree or another. We, we feel the need to have all the information before we proceed. And, and so does she, but somehow she's able to move forward. And I think what you'll learn in this, in this interview in that regard is really, really interesting and hopefully will help you as well. So let's get right into the interview with Nicole Gauthier. Nicole, welcome to the show today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Well, it's great having you here. You've done a variety of real estate investing, passive, active, all kinds of things. And, and how did you get started in real estate? Like what, what was going on in your life when you were like, oh, I think I need to do some real estate investing. Like what even precipitated that? Yeah. So I think it was two things. Definitely one of, one of the reasons why I got into real estate full-time was one, to be able to do something where I was able to help other people on their journeys in, in kind of diversifying their assets and, and their finances. And the second piece was because my husband and I were both in the oil and gas industry. And it's a very volatile you know, place to be where when it's great, it's great. When it's not, you better hope that you've protected your downside, right? So because we were both in the same industry, I thought, you know what, this is probably a good way for us to get outside of the stock market and some of those traditional ways of investing and get into some real estate. So that's, that was the other side of it. So what did you, how did you go about getting into real estate? Yeah. So probably started out like most people. I, I got into residential. I had joined a mentorship program when I saw that real estate was really going to be kind of my next pivot in life. And found a group that taught a lot of the old school types of tactics, like the driving for dollars and the cold calling and bandit uh, signs. Oh my goodness. The, yeah. Postcards. The bandit signs, right. yeah, with the burner phones, like all Love that stuff. It. Right. Uh -huh. And so I was driving around in an area that I was pretty familiar with that I knew was going through some transitional phases and saw that there was an opportunity to get involved in, in that community. So driving for dollars. One day, saw an empty lot, never done development ever in my entire life. But I figured, you know what, this seems like a really good opportunity for some appreciation and in order to maybe do a student housing kind of project on that. So we bought it, told my husband, I don't know what I'm going to do with this right now, but we are going to go for it. So we purchased it. And that's actually going to be my project this year where I built a, a duplex there. All right, so you bought this a little while ago. What what was your what was your plan? Okay, and first of all, and then how did you convince your husband, who probably thinks you're a bit crazy? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm I'm the budgeter of the family and the one that like handles the the money and the finances. So I think for him, it was more of like a this sounds new, but I'm going to trust you and and figure out that this is this is something that that will work. And I don't know, we, I guess we didn't really get into that, but I actually had a, an accounting background. So very risk averse, 
very like on point, not, you know, knowing the numbers, that sort of thing. So I think that helps with, with the trust there in, in understanding this would work okay, out. But, but buying a vacant lot, isn't that risky? How is that not yes. risky to you? I, I know it is risky. <laughs> so, That's exactly. <laughs> so how did you, okay. So how did you overcome this? Right. So you're, you just said you're a risk averse person and person and, mm -hmm. and most people are. And yeah. yet somehow you pulled a trigger on buying a lot without maybe even a clear plan. How did you overcome that, that mindset? Well, I will say growing up, my dad had always preached that there's value in land. And so I kind of went off of that as like, okay, this is, this is a little bit of my sanity or my peace of mind, I guess you could say. So that was kind of playing in the back of my mind. But then also too, I knew that corporate America really just was not for me anymore. And so if I was going to go ahead and, and get into real estate, there was going to be a way that I was going to figure that out. I didn't know at the time, but I knew that I would make it work because that's just what I do, what I like to do. Yeah. So it was basically the, the pain that, or the idea of going, staying in a job that kind of propelled you forward because maybe your status quo was, you didn't like where you were headed. I don't know. And somehow yeah, you, I, you pull the trigger. Yeah, absolutely. And I think another piece of that too, is that for growth, to be able to see maximum growth within yourself, you have to get outside of the comfort zone. And so for me, it was not so much getting outside of the comfort zone as it was staying there. So it was just doing things to kind of get myself into that, that mental framework of getting used to it. Right. Nicole. So are you the one that's coming up with these crazy ideas mostly? Or is it, is it your, yeah. it's, it's you. So I'm curious and your, your business partner is also your husband, right? Obviously. No, oh, no. So he does no. So wicked holdings is solely cool. just myself. And then of course I've got some partners on, on some of the GP type stuff, sure. but for my husband, he stays in his oil and gas world and I don't mess with nice. them there. And then I report back with the real estate stuff. Like, on, by on the way, the we, we're, we just bought these vacant lots <laughs> and we're, we're going to start yeah. building stuff. And oh, yeah, sure, honey, whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. And he was like, so, you know what? I trust you. If you want to work with a full-time syndicator to help you get up to speed faster, get your first deal done this year and scale your portfolio so you can quit your job, then check out our mentoring program. It's at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. It's the only program out there that actually guarantees results. That's right. We actually guarantee that you do your first deal in the first year. Otherwise, we'll keep working with you. And set up a, a strategy session call and explore whether it's right for you. It's themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. So, all right. So you bought, you bought this lot. That was your first foray into, into real estate. And then what, yeah. came, what came next? <laughs> What came next was a very big adventure. So, you know, how we talk about, you know, the the direct seller, the the postcards, all of that fun stuff, right? Well, the group that I had joined for mentorship had talked about posting on Craigslist that I buy homes, right? So the the almost like a virtual postcard. And so I was doing that, trying to get myself on lists and meeting wholesalers and just trying to like wheel and deal, right? Like try to find my first deal and came across a wholesaler that, that had a deal. It was actually not a deal. It was more of just a lead <laughs> and had told him like, no, dude, like this, this one's not going to work. The numbers just aren't there. 
Fast forward two months later, he comes back and it's right exactly where I needed it to be. Uh-huh. So pulled the trigger on that. And it ended up being a single family fixer upper that ended up being a full gut job. So my husband also got an introduction to project management and helping me with some few things on this on this next deal. Well, that's, that's pretty cool. How did it go? It went. It went good. It went. Not so it's amazing. It cash flows way more than what you know your typical single family would. But there was definitely some challenges to incur on that. Of course, mm. you know, the main one always is is the contractors that probably yeah. everyone talks about. So yeah, kind of ran through some hiccups, but it turned out mm. really well. Good enough to do it again, or what did you do next? Uh, good enough to transition into multifamily. Uh, I see. I see. Okay. Well, let's talk talk about that. Why did you do that? Because it didn't work so well and you're like, ah, this kind of sucks. What else is there? Or why did you start looking around? I started looking around. So I'm based out of Houston and in the Houston market, it's very competitive. At that time, it was 2021. You know, the market's super hot and people are just buying up anything and everything. And at the time I'm thinking, okay, I know that there's deals that are out there, but I'm not quite savvy enough to be like super creative and get like, you know, kind of wheelie dealy type, I guess you could say with some of these deals. So I felt that I had a challenge in order to scale on the single family side. Plus I saw the amount of work that it took to get this job done. And I'm like, it's going to take me forever. Yes, yeah, it's going to take yeah. me forever to try to get to try to build up on this. So that's when like, I started. What were you thinking? Like when you did the house and you, it sounds like you didn't flip it, you held it, right? So how many in yeah. your, you probably did the math because you're an analytical person. How many of those houses do you think you would have to do and how long do you think it would take you to do it? Oh my goodness. Well, if I would have done it the way that I, that I did it before, I would have had to do it maybe one at a time. Because, yeah. you know, you're burring deals. That's exactly what my first, or I guess my my first, you know, besides the lot was burring real estate. And mm-hmm. if you're recycling your money through one at a time. Right. I'm going to make a statement. It's going to take a while. I'm going to make yes. a statement here. So I I just thought of this as you were telling us your story, Nicole. And I think it's easier to renovate multifamily properties in general than even single families because- you don't always have to be as hands-on with stuff. Typically you have a much bigger budget. And you also, if you have a bigger property, you have on-site management that's like watching over the project as it's happening. Obviously it's nice to have boots on the ground and go visit and check on things and make tweaks, but you're typically able to afford a higher quality contractor. You just have bigger numbers. And it actually, I'd say it's easier to, in some respects, obviously I'm generalizing, (laughs) Then going into like a single family flip and having to be super hands-on and blowing out walls and all those things. There's a, there's yeah. a book that Dan Sullivan just put out called 10X is Easier Than 2X. I'm just starting to read. It literally came like, like a couple, whatever, month ago. And it's the same thing. It's like, it's the same thing. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm thinking wrong. I'm thinking 2X when in fact I need to be 10X. And a step from yes. single family to apartments is like that. It just shifts your minds around. And then you saw the insanity, Nicole, right? You're like, oh my gosh, it's going to take me. 10 years to build up whatever I need to build up. And so you start looking around and, and mm-hmm. why, and obviously you discover multifamily, but why and how did you wrap your head around it? Right? Because a lot of people can't, they know something's broken 
And they may be even exposed to the solution, but they're like, yeah, 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 but hold on, but this is a very advanced strategy. I, I will, you know, let me do five to 10 years of this thing and save some money. And then I will do the thing you're talking about. But you're like, okay, I'm think I'm just going to do this. Now, how did you wrap your head around that? What gave you the confidence to at least move forward with that idea? Yeah. So what gave me the confidence to be able to move forward with that was, is definitely the education piece. So you seem to be, or I guess in general, you know, if you have enough knowledge about a topic or you just kind of dive into it and you, and you're, you really do a lot of learning up front, it takes out that fear of the unknown a little bit out of that equation. And you're a little bit more willing to just kind of jump into it. So I actually didn't go straight into the GP side. I actually became a limited partner first, so an LP. And that's how I knew, okay, if I if I want to, if I see myself being an operator of these multifamily deals, then I need to know what it looks like to be on the other side of the table, if, especially if I'm dealing with investors or, you know, different raising capital, that sort of stuff. So that gave me that peace of mind to start on the LP side learn from a different perspective. And that just helped me be a better GP on the other end. I, I like that. I mean, you figured out a way to get into it, but but nevertheless, okay, you're a conservative person, you're a numbers person. And you said education it takes the fear out of the unknown, which is true, but a lot of people never get out of that phase. They yeah. just can't stop reading books and listening to podcasts and they never actually take action. So mm -hmm. what's different about you that allows you still to be analytical but nevertheless move forward with something? Well, I mean, you have to ask yourself that question of like, what do I have to lose? Okay, yeah, this, you know, maybe maybe this deal turns out a certain way and it's, and it's not exactly what I expected, but you don't know unless you try. So it's kind of one of those like jumping into real estate. I jumped in with a vacant lot. Probably most people would not think to do that because they're like, wow, okay, like you have no plan. You don't know exactly what, what's going to be of this, but you know that you can figure it out. That's one thing that I've always been is even though I've always been somewhat risk averse, I know that I can figure out my way if I just give myself some time. And I so, think- So this yeah, allows it, you to move forward without having everything figured out up front because you- have a certain amount of confidence in yourself that you that you think you can figure it out as you go along. Therefore, you don't have to have the 131 steps mapped out in advance, something like that. Yeah, that I always go back to. So for one, I'm always, I've been a numbers person forever. And so I could understand the deal. So it wasn't the fact of like getting into the wrong deal as, a, as an LP or getting into a deal that, that really wasn't like, didn't fit my buy box. I understood that enough to know, okay, well, yeah, we're taking this risk. We've never, you know, invested in real estate before, like a syndication, but I know that this is the right deal for us. So let's go for it. And then the other side too, is that I operate off of this, this saying that I guess it kind of sticks with me, but it's more of that progress over perfection. You can get stuck trying to make everything perfect, perfect, perfect. And then before you know it, you haven't done anything because you've just stayed in the same spot. And so that's kind of what I've always got in the back of my mind too, is like, okay, like, yeah, I'm going to make this decision. It doesn't have to be perfect. I'll fix it if I need to. So you essentially, like when you're getting into these projects, so are you just kind of testing the waters yourself with your own money to see how it works and then scaling out or is there some other approach that you have? So no. So 
of course, there's the education piece, right? So it's not necessarily that I'm completely going in blind, of course, right? I, I know, I see the deal. I know how it works. I know how the returns work. I, I understand it from its entirety. But yes, as an LP, of course, I I had my own capital in in that for us. And I also had trust in the operator. So it was someone where I vetted the sponsor. I understood their background. I understood where, you know, their experience that they had. And so that took a little bit of that uncertainty out and, and made it a little bit more of a sure decision. But I'm willing to test the waters with my own capital, but I'm not for my investors. So if I'm on the GP side and this is a deal that we've underwritten and we've got, you know, our lending, we've got everything like in order that I know is more of a sure thing because I don't test the waters with investor capital. What's what's the one thing that you learned as an LP that you found very valuable when you started going into the GP side? So I learned as as an LP that it's not so much, it's not always the deal, it's who's operating the deal. Because so you true. can have a really good deal and a bad operator and they just completely screw it up. Or you can have the opposite as also true. So if you've got you know, a good operator that you know, like, and trust, you understand how they run their deals. You, you get the team's experience, not necessarily just that specific operator, but like the team as a whole, because of course there's going to be people with varying backgrounds and different levels of experience. That's just to be expected. But if you know that operator and you understand their background, then that usually gives you a little bit more of a clue as to how that deal is going to go. So how does that lesson, how did that translate into you being a GP? You know, it is about the team. How did that affect you maybe as you went about building your company and your, and your team? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things was making sure that I had the right mentor. So the, one of the individuals that I've teamed up with for all of our apartment deals has been my mentor since the very beginning. And so there's that level of trust and that level of credibility that comes with, with them and their past experience as well, that I can kind of draw from. But then also too, I think over time, as long as you stay consistent, at least for me, like I'm on social media, like Monday through Friday, focusing on on LinkedIn, but I'm trying to share knowledge and educate and help other people genuinely on their deals. So I don't look at like cap raising or or developing these relationships with investors as like a transactional thing. I look at it as like, how can I make this a transformational change from both sides? So it's a win-win for everyone. How'd you finally then step into as a GP? So you you kind of Investing as an LP was a f- first step to get there. And then how did, what did you, what did you do after that? how did you get into your first deal? Yeah. So after that, I continued to educate myself, continued to learn more about commercial real estate investing and underwriting and sourcing deals and all of that. And that was like my first introduction into like syndication from, you know, the LP side. And I ended up finding my mentor through that because I had seen a deal. It was a 506C, of course, and saw it. And I didn't know this person, but I reached out and was like, hey, like, how, how are you doing these deals? What is what does this look like from you know the other side? I know as an LP, but I don't know as like the GP side. So what can you share with me? And that just started up a, a conversation and we just kept in touch. And then over time, it was like, okay, you know, let's, let's give you a shot at, you know, helping us with underwriting a deal and 
seeing if you can do some cap raising with us as well. And then of course, asset management. And so, yeah, got into my first deal that way through relationships. So so how did you do this offer? These, you're, you're, you're approaching an experienced operator. Okay. So you're obviously doing a 506 C you're approaching experience. These are busy people, right? And they get people like you all the time. Oh, can you look over my deal and tell me if I'm doing wrong? (laughs) Right. And so somehow you did something different that got his attention and you know, you, you basically just built a relationship with this person so they did business with it. How did you do that? What's your advice to others who who want to maybe find that kind of person to be mentored or even partner with? Yeah. So I think probably the best advice that I can give, also now sitting on like kind of both sides of the table, right? Is to try to provide value, but not not in a way where you're asking them, hey, like, how can I provide value to you? Because that just creates a job for them, right? And then they're like, oh, I don't know how you can help me because I don't know like what you're good at or I don't, <laughs> right. you know, it's just, it's kind of like, it's more annoying than anything to ask that. But it kind of started that way where I was like, hey, I'm here to help. These are like my strengths. This is what I'm good at. You know, if you ever need anyone from that side of things, like that's how I could see people approaching others is is with something in mind, but not necessarily with an expectation of, anything in return. So I have a quick weigh in on that. So I actually did that with Michael and Drew. They already had some units. Weaseled themselves into the partnership. Yeah, I weaseled my way in (laughs) with these guys. But I just, a similar approach is like, hey, you guys just want to do a deal? Just like one deal? I bring it and you like it? We could do it, right? And 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 it ended up turning into me working the, the deal with them for about a year. And then we didn't end up do, even doing the deal. But but we oh. okay. Let, let, let me clear. We lost six figures we, in the deal. We lost and it was a one and only deal we ever lost money on. It was because Garrett's fault. But having said that, <laughs> it wasn't really through Garrett's fault. I mean, it was it was a, a, a collective learning experience, right? And so when you mm-hmm. when you I think when you have interactions with a person, you kind of get to know that person a little bit and how you know how they are. And maybe yeah. you weren't paying a butt. Maybe you were respectful of their time. Maybe you did something useful. Maybe you're a nice person. Okay. Yeah. And so I you like see that. So. <laughs> yeah, you, keep, you keep showing up and you're like, how does this person keep showing up? Right. And most people don't. They might have one yeah. email and they go, can you please do this for me? I'm like, no. Right. And then they're gone. Right. There's a, and you're like, yeah. okay. But some people keep showing up and they, they're, you know, they're pleasant. They do something valuable, maybe. I don't know. And then you're like, oh, you know, well, maybe we'll invite them on this live thing or just one other thing. And that's how, yeah. it, how it works. And I think you said when you approach these people, don't have an agenda, don't expect anything in return. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I think that's I think that's that's good advice in networking in general. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and that and that also goes to show too that you're not in it just for yourself. Like you have in, in real estate, this is one thing that I learned. It was very different from coming from like a corporate America background where everyone's kind of out for themselves and no one wants to, you know, help anyone rise to the occasion or help other people out because it makes them look bad. Right. And so it's it's one of those where there there really wasn't a collective effort or, or feeling towards towards people in that industry. But I will say in real estate, it is a huge relationships based industry and it's smaller than what you'd expect right? Because you think of real estate and people with their different asset classes that they invest in and whatever, but we all kind of run to the same conferences and, and kind of commingle with one another. So, you know, it's, it's having that, that respect and then also not thinking just for yourself. It's more like, how can we help the team win? 
how did you how did you scale your company? So you uh, talk about your first deal also, but then kind of a little bit more of a, a progression as you did started doing deals. You you, you talked about ha- being in a partnership or maybe joint ventures. Just talk a little mm-hmm. bit how you scaled, and it starts with one thing, and then now maybe your company looks different than it did a year or even two ago. How did you get started and scale that your company? Yeah, so I guess. For the company, it started off obviously with that vacant lot. Then I did my first Burr deal. So then that added a single family on top of it. And then my next deal was as an LP. So that essentially scaled the company as well, because that was, you know, you're still getting cash flow and you've got equity growth on that side. So that was 148 units there. And then my first GP deal with helping with asset management and raising capital. So that was another 24. And then the deals just progressively as the operator that I had partnered with on a lot of these deals, as they grew, then I grew with them because I was able to bring a different element and, or I guess a different flair to the team. Being the only woman for one, I really enjoy like talking with people and developing those genuine relationships and connections And that's for some people, but not for everyone. Some people like to be in the background and do their underwriting and kind of hang out there. So I think we as a team have have grown because we all bring something different to the table. We overlap because we understand the numbers and we understand asset management and we get, you know, we're all trying to source deals and stuff together, but we all have different strong suits and where we like to focus our most attention on. And I think through investor relations and raising capital has has really helped me with with scaling my business. What's kind of your focus in the partnership? What 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 are you accountable for? Part of it is raising capital and developing those investor relationships and then the other piece is asset management on the back end. So That's pretty yeah. cool. What yeah. how do you how do you go about raising raising capital? What do you do there? Yeah. So I have quite a few investors that are from the oil and gas industry, just, you know, quite naturally, right. Coming from that industry. And then my husband's still there as well. So quite a few that, that understand the message that I'm putting out there. And then also too, and it's funny that someone had mentioned this to me before with their piece of advice, where they had said, when you're raising capital, don't like just pitch your deal and expect that, you know, this person is going to invest. And so that was the advice that they gave. And I was like, well, yeah, that's kind of obvious. Is is it not like you want to develop those relationships and see like who you're talking to, because not all of investors, they all have different buy boxes and criteria. One might be looking for equity growth. Another one's looking for the tax benefits to offset, you know, some crazy high income that they're getting. Another one's in it just for cash flow. So understand that your deal as a cap raiser is not going to be the right fit for everyone. You have to place your investors and understand what they're looking for into the different deals that you have. So I know I'm not going to get butt hurt or my feelings aren't going to be hurt because someone's like, oh, Nicole, like that deals, I, I don't like it. Okay, cool. Maybe the next one you might like. So just having that attitude of like positivity and just understanding that, you know, you're not pushing a transaction on someone, you're trying to develop that relationship because the goal is to also have repeat investors, like not just get one, one and done, right? Your business would be over pretty soon if, if, if you had that sort of mentality. So. Now you're just yeah. educating people, people coming from a various backgrounds and in your case, oil and gas, they know that very well. Most people come from the stock market, right? So you're like, well, you're yeah. educating them. And most, and some people like, 
now I'm, I can't wrap my head around. And that's fine. Then, then you don't invest, you know, and maybe someday they come back. And so you're right. It's not, you're not forcing people or manipulating people or even selling people. You're simply sharing and educating people. And some do and yeah. some don't. And it's, it's totally fine. So right. where, do you, where, where do you see your, yourself and, and your company going? Where do you see yourself taking real estate? Yeah, so I definitely, you know, can continue to grow. I would like to get into short-term rental, like just purchase one on the side that I can kind of do a little bit more active management from that aspect. Because, you know, I obviously as a GP as well, you know that the cash flow mostly goes to your LP investors. And that's okay. That's just, that's what it's for as a generational wealth creator. So would definitely like to get into a couple more joint ventures, short-term rental for cash flow, and then, yeah, continue scaling into more, you know, larger deals. Development is another one that we're going to touch on this year. We're working on something for our investors that we're hoping will make them very happy. And then development on on my side with my my little duplex project. So that's pretty cool. So what is your outlook here? I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty and fear, and it sounds like you're just looking for opportunity. But you know, a lot of people are like, "Oh, I don't know. I, maybe I should wait until the market gets hot again, and then it's too late to invest." Like, what is yeah. what is your outlook for like the next twelve months from an investing perspective? So I would say it's 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 a little bit of a mix, like. I was just talking with someone earlier today and and was telling them that it's been hard to get deals to pencil for short-term rental and for mm. some of the other things that I've been looking at. So I understand that. I'm I am looking to buy and I'm not fearful of interest rates because of course as an investor you know like okay, 2 3 years down the line I can refinance into a, a lower rate. So that's not a big deal. It's more so just finding deals that that cash flow and yeah, and continue growing. I'm not on we'll say it this we'll put it this way. I'm not on a trajectory where I need absolute explosive growth. If I get one or two deals done on our side, you know, our personal portfolio and, you know, a couple of GP deals this year, like I'm good. I'm happy. That's, that's awesome. Nicole, how can people connect with you? Yeah. So definitely LinkedIn. I hang out there Monday through Friday, sometimes on the weekend. So we'll see. But <laughs> I post a lot of educational content and just like share just more about me and and you know mindset stuff. So that's Nicole. Last name's G A U T H R E R. Or they can head over to my website at www.wicked-holdings.com, and there you can book a call with me. And then also there's a free resource there for anyone that's looking to get invested passively. And they're like, what the heck does all of this stuff mean? The guide's there to, to kind of help point them in the right direction. That's fantastic. Hey, Nicole, has been great. Thanks for being on the show today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. I really liked what Nicole said about progress over perfection. You know, I, I like that. Because what that means is that you don't have to have everything perfectly done, but you do want to move forward. And I found that, I think I used to be a perfectionist when I was younger. It had to be just so. And what I found myself, I could never move past something because of course you can never get it perfect. And I'm not saying you should settle for good enough. But, but I think what I've learned to do over the years is to move forward with incomplete information, which sometimes is difficult for me because I'm also very analytical. But I have, I think she said it, grown confident enough in my life to say, okay, I can figure things out as I go along. I, I don't need to know everything up front 
and I can move forward and commit to a particular journey. And I know, and I have a confidence that I can move forward. And I think a lot of people just get stuck in that step. They feel like they have to know everything and it, and it holds them back because they can't deal with that uncertainty, that unknown. And, and no entrepreneur will ever become successful if you need every information, all the assurances, all the 100% guarantees to move forward. So you have got to be able to be comfortable with a certain degree of uncomfortness, okay? This is what I'm saying, without having all the information up front. And she was able to overcome that. And that was a, a major stumbling block with her. Yeah, that's a really good point. But the other part of it is that, you know, she was able to, to test the waters first by doing some steps herself to kind of get familiar with things. And part of that was her education. And that's a big part. It's a big step because getting that first and getting your knowledge and experience and then and then looping in a mentor and figuring out your place in, in that relationship is something that she did very well. And I think that that transition is important for anyone that's getting started, anyone that's just trying to get, get in the game, or even if you have experience and you want to take it to the next level, locating, finding that mentor and then, and then adding value to them in a way that's not like, Hey, how can I add value to you? Right? Like that was, I think that was a pretty key point that she made. If anyone asks me that, like, Hey, how can I add value? I'm just thinking, (laughs) God, no, I don't know, man. <laughs> like what? You tell <laughs> <Go> me. <away>. <laughs> like, <laughs> so yeah. I like how she how she did that approach, and it's definitely it's not something like partnering with an experienced operator. Depends on what level they're at. Like a really high level, you're not you're not going to go partner with like you know whoever the the highest level operator out there, Grant Cardone or something, right? But finding the right fit for you, and then figuring out a way to to make yourself valuable to them, I think is is very valuable. Yeah, for those analytical types, which most of us are, you know, education, she says, takes the fear out of the unknown, which is true, as long as you're not stuck in the education. But if you think about just really three things you need for a deal, okay, it really boils like a triangle. Imagine on one side, there's, there's dollars, you need money. On the other side, you need hustle. And on the bottom side, you need knowledge. Okay, there's three things you need. And, and so if you have money, great, that's great. If you have money, you you need still need hustle and you need knowledge, right? Now, maybe because you have money, you can passively invest in a deal and you can invest in an operator who has the hustle and the knowledge, right? If you don't have money right now, well, then you need to go get money. But what you do have maybe is hustle. And therefore, all you need to do is get knowledge. It's pretty simple. And I, I always get asked, you know, I have $15,000 or 30000 or $50,000 to invest. You know, what's what should I do? Should I invest in, in, my, in my own deal? Should I invest some money in some other deal? And I always say... You got to solve this this riddle, right? You got to you got to acquire your knowledge first, and so I always tell people you got to invest in yourself first. Any money you have, invest in yourself first, because I've always always found that the return on the investment, if I invest in myself, is always much greater than anything I can invest in stock market, real estate, always always higher, ten x minimum, ten x, oftentimes more. Therefore, any money you have, invest in yourself, and so this is why. Working with a mentor is great. And I think what, what Nicole did was valuable that she networked her way there. I have also found, and not only through my own experience, but others, is you can't really control the outcome. And she thinks she said that. You can't go up there and say, oh, will you mentor me? No, it took her a long while to get his attention. And there was no guarantee that this person would mentor her, right? And so sometimes I think if you can find an unpaid volunteer mentor, I think that's great. It's it's ideal, really. It's it's great. But it may, it's not really a great way 
to build your business in a way that's more predictable. In that case, you might have to pay for your mentor. You have to literally invest in your education. And so that's where the, the investment in yourself really comes in. So if that's you and you're ready to invest in yourself, we'd love to have a conversation with you. Just head on over to themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor and just book a call with us and just have a conversation. We have a variety of programs based on where you are and, and what you can afford and we want to move you forward. And we're one of the only programs that actually has a success guarantee where if you don't do your first syndication in the first year, well, we're going to continue working with you until you do. And that's because we've done it so many times. We have our dealmaker blueprint that we know works for literally almost every person on the planet. And so we're very confident in our ability to help you. So if you want to get into this game and scale and become financially free, then set up that call, themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. Would love to have a conversation with you. So... All right, great. Enjoy it, Gareth. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. Catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Take the next step toward financial freedom by checking out our Freedom Vault, where you can find free resources to help you with apartment building investing. Whether you're an active investor just starting out or looking to scale your syndication business or looking to invest passively, head over to themichaelblanc.com slash vault to gain access to our Freedom Vault.